Welcome to another episode of the G-Man Show. I'm the G-Man Ron Gerard, and I will be your captain aboard the mothership of social media. Please keep in mind when the podcast concludes, the items you stored in the overhead bins may have shifted during bullet points in my commentary. In this episode, we'll take a look at changing the names of established franchises in Major League Baseball and in the National Football League. We'll also mention a few interesting facts about Major League Baseball records. We've just been cleared for liftoff, so seatbelts fastened, face coverings secured. Let's roll. How many years have we heard the battle cry, change the name of the Washington Redskins? Now in the past month or so, it's come up again. Majority owner Daniel Snyder has not been on board, ever. Minority owners have been open to a change, including FedEx, which has naming rights to the team's stadium in Maryland. And now, new head coach Ron Rivera has also been in support of a change. Now we hear they're going to have discussions discussions after all this time? What will those discussions be about? I'll have a discussion right now. My question to you, Mr. Snyder, what's the name of your franchise? The Redskins, you say? My answer to you, sir, get rid of the name. Lose it. Discussion over. It's offensive to many people, especially Native Americans. What if I called you something that was offensive to you and you asked me to stop doing so? And I tell you, no, I'm going to continue doing it. Then you say, why would you do that? My answer to you is, well, I'm used to it. I've always referred to you that way. Really? In Major League Baseball, the Cleveland Indians get it. I look for a name change, and it could come as early as this abbreviated season, 2021 at the latest. They were called the Broncos, then the Naps, the Forest Cities. I believe uh, they had a National League team there in Cleveland. We're called the Spiders. (laughs) Hey, open it up to the fans. It could be a lot of fun. When and if the season opens up, I wonder with a 60-game schedule if anyone, anyone will hit close to 400. Think about it. The last Major League player to do that was the great Ted Williams. He hit 406 during the 1941 season. That was the greatest hitter I guess, a left-handed hitter of all time. Now through the first 60 games of that season, the splendid splinter stood at 407, so he was above the, above the line. Tony Gwynn and George Brett are the only players who finished within 10 points of the Magic 400 since Williams. By the way, when Tony Gwynn hit his career best 394 in 1994, he stood at 378 through 60 games. Now, we're keeping our bats crossed that COVID-19 is not going to make it impossible as we near go time for the major leagues. A, A number of players have been infected, and some camps have temporarily shut down for a day or two. Some teams hit a holding pattern for a while because they were waiting for test results to come back. Oh, by the way, I wanted to tell you, the last National League player to hit 400 was Bill Terry. You never hear about that. He played with the New York Giants, a Hall of Famer, went in the Hall of Fame in 1954. He finished at 401 back in 1930. Since 1900, only eight players have hit 400 or better. Well, to come back to the question, 
it's going to be a challenge getting this to the starting gate here with uh, Major League Baseball. I don't know if we're going to hear play ball. Of course, you can look at this whole thing another way, not only for the summer game, but for all sports. They're trying to all dance around this world pandemic. Well, maybe the best solution is, as they say in New York, hey, forget about it. You know, come back strong in 2021. I've watched very little sports now in in the last number of months, and I'm still standing. So stay strong and remember, keep your hands up, your chin down, shoot the jab, and don't make me look for you. Welcome to yet another episode of the G-Man Show. I'm not only the G-Man Ron Gerard, but I'm going to serve as your captain aboard the mothership of social media. We're all cleared for liftoff, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Let me begin by inviting you to send in voice messages. You can do that, and especially when the spirit moves you. I've had several of them. I'd like to answer one of them right now. I was asked what I thought of Cam Newton and how he would fare in New England. Very well, thank you. If he manages, of course, to stay healthy. Granted, two down years are staring him in the face, but he has a lot to prove, and I believe he will. Remember this, he was beaten like a rented mule in Carolina. That won't happen with the Patriots. I don't believe you closed the book on Cam just yet. And I'll tell you something else. I'm pulling for the guy. Now let's move to the links, the world of golf, and look back at some historic moments. I'm even going to throw in a timeline to set the stage. You ready for this? Seatbelts fastened. Timeline, 1955. Dwight D. Eisenhower was in the first term of his presidency. Ray Kroc started McDonald's. James Dean starred in Rebel Without a Cause. The Dodgers won their only World Series title while located in Brooklyn. And Disneyland opened in California. Now this golf flashback stands as the greatest upset in professional golf. In 1955, During the U.S. Open Championship at San Francisco's famed Olympic Club, a Cinderella story that has stood the test of time. Jack Fleck, a club pro from Iowa, overcame a nine-shot deficit over the final 54 holes, a record that stands to this day. He forced an 18-hole playoff with golf's legendary champion, Ben Hogan. The little-known Midwesterner went on to shoot a 69 the following day and defeat his idol by three strokes, and he accomplished it using a set of clubs given to him by Hogan himself. What many people didn't know was the morning of the historic playoff, alone in his room shaving, Mr. Fleck heard a voice say very clearly, Jack, you will win the U.S. Open. That's the way he spoke. I spoke with him. Today, there are more swing coaches and psychologists on tour than players. Perhaps Jack Fleck was well ahead of the curve some 60 years ago. Jack Fleck, the 1955 U.S. Open champion. We go back even further. Timeline 1930. A newly discovered ninth planet is named Pluto. Babe Ruth earns $80,000 a year as some greater than President Hoover. All Quiet on the Western Front wins the Academy Award for Outstanding Motion Picture. And George Gershwin's musical hits, I've Got Rhythm and Embraceable You, were released. During golf's golden age, a 28-year-old amateur from Atlanta stood head and shoulders above every peer. 
Robert Tyre Jones captivated the sporting public with an achievement that transcended the sport and stands unmatched to this day. Under enormous pressure and high expectations, Bobby Jones did the near impossible. He won all four major tournaments, the U.S. Amateur, the U.S. Open, the British Open, and the British Amateur. In one year, he became the only golfer ever to do what the writers were referred to as the Grand Slam. Shockingly, just two months after his astonishing achievement, Bobby Jones announced his retirement from the sport. In a meteoric span, he had gained the admiration, respect, and love not only from his own country, but internationally. For many, he remains the greatest golfer to have ever played the game. Golf's patron saint, Bobby Jones. Join me next time on the G-Man Show. Until then, keep your hands up, your chin down, shoot the jab, and don't make me look for you. Peace.